Coming up this week, off screen, we get Fly, Superfly. Shane Black revives the Predator. We go on holiday with some crazy rich agents. Harry Dean Stanton is lucky. Michael Caine becomes a king of thieves. Marvin gets reinvented. And Michael goes inside. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. latest film news and reviews this is off screen the movie marker radio show and podcast are you are you doing your uh, your affected michael kane voice is that what that was that was, was it was that a michael kane growl no it was like it was like you doing that weird semi clarkson that you do semi clarkson yeah when you start all the way down here and then you end like that. <laughs> that. Now that is Stuart Lee. See right there? Yeah, that was not Stuart Lee. <laughs> Welcome to Radio 4 where the voice goes up. Yeah. And no, I, I, don't, I don't have a Michael Caine because I'm too... <laughs> I'm too northern. <laughs> too northern to pull off Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, it's funny enough, the, uh, it's like, it's like Alan Frank's favourite piece of trivia is to, uh, is to tell you that, uh, his name is, is it Maurice Micklewhite? Yeah. And the only it's problem with that is mind. every time I see a really bad Michael Caine movie now, which, you know, doesn't make terrible movies until this week, um, you come out and you <laughs> draw four. Yeah. Classic. You come out and I do think to myself, oh, Maurice. But, uh, you know. <laughs> crazy old Maurice. Crazy old Maurice. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, anyway, so King of These is terrible. We'll review that later. So, uh, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. I know it really is yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, so let's see. We've got the news. We've got the reviews, top five, all the usual fun to do. We need some news to start us off. What has happened in the world of film this week? What's has anything happened? of note taken place? I feel like it's still been pretty quiet. Um, apart from, uh, Henry Cavill might not be Superman. Oh, oh wait, he might be Superman. Yeah. Oh wait, no one, no one knows. Like there was the story was that someone had gone to I think Hollywood Reporter and, and said he's out like, because he was in negotiations to be in Shazam. Well, to do like yeah. a cameo, which I mean, it's a cameo, so you could shoot it anywhere and <laughs> yeah. with like a couple of minutes work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like a hard ask, is it? Yeah, but uh, I think there's been issues with pay and stuff, and uh, I don't know if he had to do a contract negotiation or like a renegotiation after Justice League. Huh. Yeah, I, I, was... I, I can't remember how many films he was signed up for when he signed up for Man of Steel. I think he was signed for three movies, and I think those three movies were, uh, you know, ended with Justice League. I think it was that sort of trilogy he was right. So, so anything for. else he would have to anything else would be individual. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So I don't know if he was asking for too much to be in Shazam for a minute or or that, what. But he got he got cast in The Witcher, and then yeah. he's, he's obviously been doing all right with Mission Impossible. And yeah, Mission Impossible seems to have really like finally won him an audience. So it was, uh, it was uh, the 20th, 20th anniversary, Big Lebowski? Well, that's, that's not why we're watching it, but I think that it actually is. I think it was 1998 <laughs> when it came out. So it was, yeah. Sense. But the, the yeah. anniversary screening seemed to have been it's either this last week or next week coming. Oh. And there's loads of, like, the Curzon Sheffield, for instance, is, is doing do this big one. screening. And I don't know why I didn't hear about serving that. Serving up white Russians. and Well, of course they were. Yeah. yeah. So that, that sounds, uh, I'm sorry I have to miss out on that. I think it is being released in cinemas for one day again. I, well. I would have not watched it on Blu-ray had I known that. Yeah, I I'd think have it's just waited. <laughs> it's coming back to cinemas for like a day or something for for the anniversary. Oh man, like remastered. Yeah, because you know it hasn't it hasn't aged a day in, because it was a period piece to begin with. Exactly. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, set set in the eighties. Certain eighties. Yeah, it's, I think it's like very. Isn't it when the Gulf War starts? It's like that happens in the background, doesn't it? The, like, yeah, because. Uh, 
President Bush. President Bush. So it's like o- OG Bush. OG, yeah. Bush one, mate. Bush, Bush one, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that would be like 1990, 91? 90, yeah. I think. Mm. Gulf War started in 90. Mm. Surely. Okay. So uh, back to uh, some reviews then. Let's. Uh, oh, we've got to plug the podcast edition. Do it. Go and do that. Okay. Do so there's a podcast edition of this show. You know, if you can get the full expanded version with more fun and more news and more, more reviews things. and more, more Nicolas Cage, which everybody needs in their life. So uh, first review of the week then. Uh, let's start with Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. Yay. Right. We have to talk about the title, first of all, because I think everyone seems to have interpreted it the absolute, absolute wrong way. People seem to think that this is made up of three descriptive terms. Crazy and rich and Asian. No, it's not. It's crazy rich. Asians. Asians. So we yeah. need a comma or something in there. So or a hyphen. hyphen. A hyphen. A hyphen. So it should be crazy, crazy hyphen rich. rich. Asians. Cra- crazy hyphen rich. That, that's that's just a good title. It, yeah, yeah, that, that would work, wouldn't it? Crazy hyphen rich. Crazy hyphen rich. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, this uh, stars Constance Wu uh, from Fresh Off the Boat, I'm told. Yes. The, uh, the series it's on. It's been like, Which it's, is good. In like it's its really third good, season. Yeah. Um, I'd not seen her in anything before. It was my introduction to Constance Wu. Oh. So she is uh, a She's New York... She's an NYU professor of game theory so this woo is new to you this woo is new to me is is woo yeah. new to you no no okay. no i've i've been aware of woo okay there yeah we this this woo has been a constant in my life has been a constant constance constance woo has been a constant woo in yeah your, has been a constant life. constance <laughs> what if what if you're inclined to try and woo? not you you're going to try and woo Ms. Wu. Well, that, that's what this film is about. It could be constant wooing of Constance Wu. Constance Wu, no, yeah. No. <laughs> so, um, back to that. So, Matt Mickelson has a funny name brother as well. Anyway. What's, what's his um, brother? I forget. Wasn't he the, uh, the rock and roll guy? Or was Vincent Cassell? It was Vincent Cassell, who's called Rusty Squats. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. We were reviewing crazy rich, crazy hyphen rich Asians. No, we're talking about people's names. We are, we are. So, uh, Constance Wu is, uh, NYU game theory professor who is, uh, going out with, uh, a sexy, well-educated, very upstanding, uh, young Singaporean man played by Henry Golding. Um, he invites her home to, he, all she knows about his sort of business is that he's very successful and he's, you know, seemingly an ordinary guy. Uh, she a- agrees to attend a family wedding with him in Singapore. They uh, jet off over there, and along the way, wouldn't you know it, it turns out he's like a billionaire, and he's just never mentioned it. So the whole gimmick is, and this is, in the film, played as something of a twist. I imagine it was in the book as well. But in, in the trailer, it's not. It's not. This is the plot, according to the posters, the trailers, everything. It, 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 he's rich. That's the gimmick. It's in literally in the title. But the film wants to play it as, as a sort of a twist, this big reveal. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm dating Prince William. I think she literally says at one point, and his response is, actually, I'm kind of more like Harry. Yeah. Right. So um, he describes them as being comfortable, not rich. And she says that's, that's something That's what rich that's, people say. Yeah. So no sooner does she arrive in Singapore and she meets his all-domineering mother, played by Michelle Yeoh, um, who it just instantly gets you to fall in love with her in this brilliant sort of Joan Collins like role, you know that sort of dynasty, you know eighties style, yeah. <laughs> you know the uh, the Marissa Cooper of this world kind of thing. Marissa Cooper, 
Who's from VOC, yeah. From VOC. That's the mum, isn't it? Julie Cooper. Uh, Julie, Julie Cooper, Julie Cooper yeah. and Julie Cooper Nickel. Yeah, sorry. Julie Cooper. She's the Julie Cooper of this. And there is something of that kind of OC-like way that they, mm. they stage, you know, the, the lavish, glossy luxury of Singapore. Uh, but of course, you know, Constance Wu's character is an every girl. She doesn't fit into this rich world of socialites and, you know, uh, like venomous, venomous potential romantic rivals who are out to sabotage her every move. Uh, she quickly forms her own little posse of friends, which includes Aquafina, her old college roommate who just happens to have wound up living down the street and is also rich, and her dad is Ken Jong. So nice. Yeah. This film, by the way, very quickly becomes a case of who's stealing the film at any given moment, and it's a back and forth. Ken Jong steals it, or Kofina steals it. Um, as Constance Bruce's character puts it, she feels like she's in a bad soap opera and she's been cast as the villain. So we have a clip. This is her discovering, you know, she's dating Prince Harry effectively. So your family is, like, rich? We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. It's not a big deal, obviously. I just think it's kind of weird that I had no idea. I mean, you have a Jamba Juice card. You use my Netflix password. You play basketball at that Y that kind of smells. I really like that place, thank you very much. And yes, my family has money, but I've always thought of it as theirs, not mine. Yeah, so this came with a lot of buzz out of the US for like two weeks. It was every Chinese-American actor's uh, uh, big social media staying. People like Ming-Na Wen and Ken Jeong, of course, was in the cast. And you actually look at the cast list when you you go into it, and there's, there's some names on there, isn't there? Yeah, it's quite a few. There's uh, uh, Jimmy O. Yang is a name I forgot as well from Silicon Valley. Yeah, he's been a lot of stuff recently. He's popping up everywhere, isn't he? Yeah, but uh, he turns up in this as. Now I'm told that uh, quite a fan favorite character from the book. Apparently, there's a trilogy of books. I think. How how big is the book? The book it's pretty seems big, to have quite a big following. Like I've only met like one person who's read it, so can yeah. actually describe it to me. But uh, this is really funny, really, really funny, really, really sharp, and really, really just sort of joyous about how it goes about it. Mm. So it is that that sort of bright, colourful. Uh, it has the feel of something that Julia Roberts or Reese Witherspoon would have done in the late nineties. <coughs> Sorry. Like a runaway bride kind of Yeah, like thing. kind of around then. Except mm. it's actually smart enough to stand apart. It's clever enough with uh, how it tackles conventions. How it basically, you know, at point stops to satirise its own need to feed a cliché. Like it will do it, but it will do it begrudgingly. And it will make sure that you know it's doing it begrudgingly. With a sort of wry smile. Um, I think the cast are all really fun. You know, she's, as far as the sort of central couple goes, for a rom-com, that's kind of an essential mm. thing. She's kind of likable and adorable, I suppose, is the term, and he's a bit dashing. And Michelle Yeoh is the great Joan Collins figure, as I say, the great Julie Cooper. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe for me it's just been a bad... It was just bad trailers. You think? Really. Yeah, and I, I just feel like they just gave everything away. And if that is meant to be the twist... Like, that, that is not the twist for me. <laughs> it's a that just seems like the point. Just yeah. say the point. I meant to say the plot a point, and it came out as point, which okay. is a new term. It's, it's a plot, plot point. It's a plot point. A plot it's point. point. It's, it's a point. Yeah, there you go. A plot yeah. point is a point. There we go. But, uh, yeah, it is really bizarre, isn't it? That, yeah. that, that that is the marketing hook for this, is the actual twist. Like, yeah. what? But then again, you, something's called Crazy Rich Asians. You know, the... 
never one of them's going to be crazy rich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like you watch the movies, like, oh look, they're both Asians. That answers the title. Yeah. One of them must also be crazy, be crazy rich. rich, or one of them's but, crazy, uh, one of them's rich. So it is very fun. Uh, it's got this soundtrack that's made up entirely of Chinese language covers of Western pop songs, mm. and it's you know really fun. You got like eighties, you know, classic like Belinda Carlisle and things in Mandarin, and it's uh, we, we had that in the Meg, didn't we? Did we get a bit of that in the Meg as well? What was it? Yeah, oh, there's... Oh, yeah, there was one, wasn't there? Uh, uh, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, yes, you're mind. that was it. I think in, like, Mandarin or... <laughs> we, we play it, like, uh, three times. I think I'm just more of a fan of Chinese pop music than I think yeah. I am. But, yeah, so uh, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Crazy Hyphen Rich Asians, um, I had a great time with it. I think uh, John Chu has never directed a film better in his life. I mean, that one... John Chu, not John Cho. Not John Cho, John M. Chu. In fact, John, John M. Chu. John, John Cho was one of about six names of uh, you know uh, Asian American actors that are missing. That are missing from this film. I was trying to come up with him in my head. Well, he was too busy searching, wasn't he? And he was he was searching in the next screen. You see, in the next yeah. room, he was searching. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so crazy hyphen rich Asians. Absolutely, check that out. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. The Movie Marker Radio Show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, um, should we check in with Maurice Micklewhite and see uh, see how he's been getting on? Oh, Maurice. Oh, Maurice. Crazy old Maurice. <laughs> so, King of Thieves is finally here, and... Uh, you didn't said no one ever. Yeah. <laughs> this was uh, surprising. I mean, I was most depressed that it was not like a... a the, this wasn't the sequel to Den of Thieves. Mm. And because uh, I, I actually would have been more excited about a sequel to Den of Thieves than the existence of Den of, of no, the sequel's going to be called Den Mother, <laughs> Den of Thieves. <laughs> It'll be something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this is the story of the Hatton Garden job, which I didn't know anything about, and then. <laughs> When I did more reading about it, when this film was being advertised, I, I don't know where I was. Do you know? I remember it going on. I remember it actually being the thing, because, yeah. like, obviously the, the tabloid papers, like, they ate that up. It was like, yeah. you know, front cover of the sun for 10 days or so, or whatever. Um, but what basically, the, the general gist of the story was, I think it was in 20, was it 2011 or 2014? Within the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, basically, a group of older robbers decided to rob this Hatton Garden jewelers, clear out the vault. They basically did it over the course of the Easter weekend during unsociable hours. Like, they would just turn up as workmen, let themselves in for the night, and have an entire night to try and clear this out. And if anything went wrong, they'd come back the next day. Um, this movie would like to play that exact story that I've just told you as this sort of romanticised uh, Honour Among Thieves brotherhood tale. And it stars Michael Caine, Jim Broadbent, Paul Whitehouse, Tom Courtney, and Ray Winston all of whom get named on the poster for this by their surname and they are also <laughs> they also include amongst their member Charlie Cox from Daredevil which means at some point on this surname poster as i call it there's like Kane <laughs> Courtney Whitehouse Cox and you just are thinking is it Courtney Cox <laughs> he's not the most famous Cox. He's like not even in the most top. He's not even the top five. Cox. Perry Cox, no. a fictional doctor from Scrubs, is more, more well known as a Cox. Is that, is that the first thing you think of when you think of Cox? When I think of Cox, I think of Courtney Cox. That's that's when I think of that name. I think of Courtney Cox Arquette. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's uh, uh, David Arquette's on Molten Movies, by the way, this this week. Really? Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, yeah. so uh, this is uh, here's a clip of you know this romanticised retelling of how to rob a hat and garden jeweller. Didn't your Lynn never teach you nothing? Leave her out of it. Can't believe she stayed with you. What's the matter with you, Terry? Still bitter? Still got an axe to grind after all these years? If I had an extra grand, Brian, you'd be the first to know about it. Don't try and bully me, son. I know how to treat bullies. I'll have you some f- chunks. Come on, then. Have a chunk. You can tuck me up while you're about it. Whoa, whoa. Turn it in. So straight away you run into, run into a, uh, a bit of a difficult problem with this movie, which is it's very difficult to take Jim Broadbent seriously mm. as a hard man. And, you know, when you start getting into the nastiest... I mean, even Michael Caine. It's difficult to buy Michael Caine as a hard man anymore because it just doesn't quite work. Um, this goes straight straight in with the sort of faux uh, full Monty tone that, uh, oh, we are just the little guy, you know, society is, uh, you know, contrived to put us down, etc. Um, we're old, mm. we're obsolete, Um I'm widowed, the council wants to bill me for this, and this bill is going to clear me out. It really goes for that, really, trying to build itself some likeable heroes. The problem is you never quite get past the part that, no, they're not. And the film is so hackneyed and corny with it that you really never get to kind of indulge that immersion. Who is Charlie Cox in this? Charlie Cox is, I think he's effectively the sort, he's the brain of the outfit. He's he they, he's the younger recruit. Like, right. he seems to get the band together. He approaches uh, Michael Caine originally, and Michael Caine then assembles the squad sort of one unit at a time. But initially it is him and Charlie Cox. And Charlie Cox is played as a bit of a naive, new, wannabe newcomer to crime who sort of romanticised this idea of what it must be like to be a you know, London bank robber. And, like, Michael Caine is like a hero to him. But uh, it's not much of a juicy role. There is a sort of an irony to a certain story point they do pull off with him. Like when you get the sort of story of what became of them, mm. there's a certain level of uh, irony to it. Um, <laughs> because of the casting, and it is really, really sort of uh, clunkily cast, I would say, the whole thing feels like a made-for-TV restaging of the Italian job. If you can, you know, you can imagine like the IT- ITV would absolutely do that and cast like, you know... Mm. Uh, what do you call him from the, the quiz show in the middle of the day? <laughs> I don't know, the Corrie guy. Anyway, um... Bradley Walsh? Bradley Walsh, yeah. Yeah, it feels like, going to be in Doctor Who. Yes, him, yeah. it feels like, you know, you can imagine ITV remaking the Italian job with, like, Bradley Walsh Great. and a bunch of actors of that sort of calibre. Yeah. This has that feel to it, and yet it comes to us from the director of The Theory of Everything, so... I really like the cast, though. I've yeah. not seen the film, but... They don't work in these characters. There's a, there's a point. At That's which, probably what it is. Then probably mm. if you put them like in a, in a different environment, it'd be amazing. Because mm. who, who doesn't like Paul Whitehouse? Who doesn't like Jim Broadbent? See, Paul Whitehouse's character, for instance, doesn't work for him because he's played as being a bit too pathetic. And Paul Whitehouse can't actually can't actually dramatically pull that off without sacrificing the comedy. But the tone of yeah, but it's... Paul Whitehouse is joined uh, joined up's uh, favorite actor of all time. <laughs> Lest we forget. Yes, it's important to have that distinction under yeah. your belt, isn't it? Uh, but like Jim Broadbent trying to do like affectionately rapey, like do do that kind mm. of humour, like when he's teasing uh, uh, Charlie Cox, for instance. You're like this doesn't work on any level. It just seems wrong. But uh, <laughs> this. 
<laughs> right. This is the thing I noticed. The film has to its in its script this pattern where somebody, one character will say, This is Thingy the Thing. And then the other character will respond with Thingy the Bloody Thing, F off. Right. And that happens all the time. It's like, oh, this is my car, the Mazda. Car the bloody Mazda? And yeah, yeah. And this goes on over and over again. It is really like someone, bad. someone's like crime nickname. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Timmy like the Shiv or something. <laughs> it's just, it's far too silly. It can't sell its own alternative morality. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Uh, it is an entire half hour too long. This kind of goes over two hours. And I mean, to be fair, they're robbing the jewelers within about twenty minutes of this thing starting. That actually is to its credit, but it then just labours out the thing. Is it more just about what they do with all the money and they have, like, arguments? It is more about the aftermath than, mm. yeah, it just doesn't quite work. And especially after week after American Animals, because that was such a good heist mm. movie. Well, I think that's what didn't really work about Ocean's 8. I don't want the heist to happen and then loads of aftermath or just <laughs> loads of hanging. I want the heist to be the thing that we build towards. Yes, yes, I can I see things that. going wrong up to that. And then I want to see it either fail or be a success at the end. That's what I want. Very true. Although, yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I've now seen American Animals like four times. Uh, I, I absolutely love yeah, that movie. Yeah, so much to watch it. Um, it's so good. Um, uh, film news. We were talking about film news, by the way. Have you heard this ridiculous rumour that Kit Harrington's going to be Batman? Oh, have you heard the ridiculous... Actually, not as ridiculous rumour that uh, John Hamm will be he's Superman. Oh, no, yeah. is he, is he uh, Superman or Batman? He's Batman. He's Batman. Michael B. Jordan is Superman, apparently. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Batham, as I'm saying for John Hamm uh, <laughs> right now. I'm coining that. Would, that would be good, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> but go from Batfleck to Batham is... Batham, yeah. It wasn't... Hang on. Wasn't Ham the direct the writer of the original Batman in 89? Wasn't it like... Was it? I think there was someone named Ham. Full circle. Full circle. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) What a world we live in. Right, what is it we're going to review next? We're going to review Lucky next. Yay. Right. I I want to see this really bad. Do you know, I didn't know who directed this. I uh, don't know. It's John Carroll Lynch. Oh, no, I didn't know that, because I was like, the Zodiac Killer? <laughs> yeah. Ted Cruz, the Zodiac Killer was... was he, he was Francis Dollarhide, wasn't he, in, like, Red Dragon? Yeah. In the, the, in the, the original yeah, yeah. Michael Mann one. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. He's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, didn't he get the heroic death in Volcano? If I'm remembering... Yeah, he, he like, jumps off a bus and he's holding a guy. Yeah, doesn't he, like, stand yeah. in lava and, like, sacrifice himself? Yeah, and he's, like, walking and then melting and walking yep, and melting yep. and... Yeah, The T-1000 him, man. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, John Carroll, I didn't realise, because, like, him directing a film doesn't surprise me. It does no, surprise me, though. Yeah. This is apparently his directorial debut. Really? Yeah. Has he written anything? No, I, I'm not sure. Actually. Let's, let's have a look. You would have thought, wouldn't you, this guy directed loads of movies. Mm. He has that sort of Clark Gregg kind of thing about him. Have you watched about, um, what was it called, uh, The Invitation? The Invitation. No, I don't think I have. He's in that and he's really, really good. It's it's like a Hollywood dinner party yeah. kind of thing. Um, guy from Upgrade, Logan Marshall Green. Oh, uh, not Tom Hardy. Not, not yeah, Tom Hardy. Not Tom Hardy, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's worth checking out, but he's really good in it. Ah, right. I, 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 like, uh, I like the sound of that. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> John Carroll Lynch has directed this. This is basically being positioned, uh, largely marketing-wise, on the idea that it's the final on-screen performance of Harry Dean Stanton, hmm. uh, who passed away... Was it this Was it this year he passed away? I think it was. The very start of the year, or oh, end of last year. I feel like this year has gone on and on and on. Yeah. So, well, well, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, iconic American actor, in, in so many sort of just memorable historical, you know, historically 
timeless films. Mm. And like Alien, and the weird part is he looked the same age in Alien as he does now. Yeah. Which is bizarre, because that strange. was 40 years yeah. ago. And he's, he's got probably one of my favourite bits in The Avengers as well. Oh, yes, son. you got a condition. Got a condition. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the story of Lucky, who is... Uh, he's a man lives on his own. He has no one in his life. He's a staunch atheist. And basically, it's it's kind of just a slice-of-life drama of him sort of just taking in the world in, and interacting with the world around him and how his just search for some kind of comfort and niceness mm. to enjoy in the world, uh, how that sort of inter- crosses and intersects with the lives of his friends, who include actors such as Vic Fontaine from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Don't, don't know where he's been for 20 years, but okay. Yeah, it's a really good cast. And uh, David Lynch, yep. because that's <laughs> who I think of when I think of heartwarming rural Texan drama. But, uh, yeah, here's a clip. I saw him eye in that gate the other day. He had to have timed it out perfectly. I searched our entire neighborhood. Did you search your entire yard? (laughs) Hey, we're talking about his best friend here. Thank you, Lucky. You're welcome, Howard. You're right, right. I'm sorry. We shouldn't make fun. I'm going to miss him. He's outlived two of my wives. I'm going to the WC. Okay. Bro. Like this film is full. It's just full of those people that you just know from things, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, and, and obviously you know you got David Lynch, so you got to have a clip of him talking about his missing tortoise. Uh, that, by the way, is David Lynch's arc for this movie. Just missing the tortoise. He's, he's just a man, man who wants his tortoise. That is literally David Lynch. And do you know what? The film, bizarrely, not only manages to pull that off, it manages to make you care about David Lynch and his tortoise. <laughs> it's only like 98 minutes, this. is a really sweet, soulful drama. And, I, I mean, I would say it's the, the best, you know, I, I would say it's the, the greatest role Harry Dean Stanton's ever had. It's the best character, the best performance. It's in a lead. Um, you never see him in a lead. Yeah, you never, because you never get to see him have this amount of the spotlight. Mm. And it's, it, it, he brings so much gravitas to it. And you do watch this film and just think, oh my God, we really lost a good one with Harry Dean Stanton. I don't think we stopped and appreciated that enough when he passed. Uh, but yeah, great supporting cast, really measured, considered direction. There's something of Scorsese. Uh, to the, the staging and the framing of it, mm. even though obviously it couldn't be more further removed from uh, <laughs> any further removed from a Scors- the average Scorsese film. Um, but there is a point actually, which about two thirds of the way through, I think they play a Johnny Cash song. And I think I told you about this earlier, yeah, in which a Johnny Cash song is then played. Like, of course, there's a Johnny Cash song. So what was missing? Because. Why wouldn't this film have a Johnny Cash song? It absolutely does. It absolutely fits. It's a really terrific drama. It's not going to be a box office crowd pleaser, obviously, but if you do get the chance to see it, and I think it'll wind up on Film 4 or something in the UK. It It probably will. You'll see this on Film 4, I'd imagine. But, uh, yeah, so that's Lucky. Check it out. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker Radio Show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, uh, should we have some fun? Let's do it. Let's do Box Office Top 5. It's Megalodon. Number 5. Shut up, Meg. The Meg. Which I was a big fan of. Who thought that was going to be the uh, the buzzy blockbuster of the summer, eh? Me. I think everyone thought me. Skyscraper, though, didn't they? No, me. Yeah, I, I, had <laughs> I, money on, uh, I had money on Skyscraper. The Rock seems to have an issue with starting these franchises that are brand new, complete 
Total yeah. originals. Total original properties. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <laughs> that's the most anyone's ever calling Skyscraper original, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's diehard die in a building. Who would have thought that would work? <laughs> it's, but it's a building on fire. <laughs> exactly. It's diehard in a building. Oh, that's already been done? Oh, just put it on fire. Um, yeah. yeah, it's only that. <laughs> uh, but the Meg, Jason Statham versus a shark. And you know what? Homeboy literally fights a shark. <laughs> yeah. For the sequel, I think it'll be Die Hard in a shark. I tell you, the cast though, I have a lot of fun with the cast on this movie. And I think it's one of those things where everyone's playing to type. And you, you kind of have to give it to them. They're all enjoying doing it. Like Cliff Curtis plays Cliff Curtis. Yeah. You know, Ruby Rose shows up. He gets to be Rose. Australian as well. Exactly. Oh, is he in Australia or is he in New Zealand? I think he's from New Zealand. But you know what? Well, Hollywood, Hollywood can't people. decide what his ethnicity is. So, no. yeah. yeah. He just seems happy to let Hollywood just game him on the uh, on yeah. the ethnicity system. That's how like, likes to work. Yeah. I mean, he seems to have the same scruples about that like Antonio Banderas does. So, you know, Tony Banderas. It, it is the heart of the mountain. Yes, and, you and know. she is breaking. <laughs> yeah, like Banderas, who can play a Frenchman and an Arab, and yeah. you can just play everyone, Banderas, can't he? Uh, but yeah, so Meg, I like that a lot. Um, big fan of uh, the sort of over the top seventies Irwin Allen type nature of it at times. I think it does a, g- a couple of, a good yeah, sort of affectionate homage to Jaws. It has yeah. Piranha three D like fun. What's not to love? Has anyone uh, tweeted any such love? They have. At BigBabyGordo69. Wow. Yeah, that was a mouthful. Okay. Says, uh, the Meg better win an Oscar. Do you know what? Fair. Right. Number four. Mamma Mia 2. Well, it, it, it's it's like Mamma Mia. Uh, there's another one. It's about as good. Personally, I think it's slightly better. Yeah, should we go um, to the tweet? But yeah, let's, let's, let's go to the tweet on Mamma Mia. Yeah. At... Katsu VV says, "I watched Mamma Mia two with my mum the other day." That's it. That 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 that's great. That sounds that sounds fun. Number three, Black KKK Landsman. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? After when you when you have to try and put the audio audio audibly describe the joke, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I loved Black Landsman. I was I was a really big fan. Of it. I think it's the best film Spike Lee's turned out in fifteen. When was when was it? Whenever Man? Inside Man, yeah. But I mean, having said that, though, I I do think Chirac is like yeah, underrated. I, like I think that's underrated. Um, but yeah, this is awesome. This is great. You can feel a little bit of that Jordan Peele shadow in there as well. It's the most um, mainstream film he's done in a long time. Definitely, I love uh, John David Washington though in in the lead as as Ron Stallworth. Ron Stallworth. Ron Stallworth. And then Flip Zimmerman. Is Adam Driver? Sounds I think they make it. They make a good team actually as well. I, I'd be interested in seeing like the pair of them in a comedy. Don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's because there's so much comedy in Black Klansman. There is, and there's also there's a lot of darkness as well, and it does juxtapose those. Juxtapose. We we cannot word. Today. We can't word. It does juxtapose the the darkness and the humor. I think quite nicely. And the, mm. but there is the you know it does build to like kind of sledgehammer moments, kind of at the end. But uh, which is obviously you know no spoilers or anything. But uh, that was that was interesting to me. But uh, anyway, has anyone tweeted? Yes, yes, they have. At Indigo J Halen says Black Klansman was probably the best movie I've seen in a while. Tbh. To be honest, yeah, I think that's what that sounds for. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's based off a true story. That, I mean, it says right at the very start of films, based on some for real, for real. She is, yeah. Definitely would recommend for everybody to go see it. Hashtag David Duke, y'all. 
Yeah, yeah, fair, fair, fair. It's a great movie. We all agree. Number two. Crisscross. Crisscross. Oh, Christopher Robin. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you ever wonder what the hell was going on there? Crisscross. Yeah. Crisscross. Ah, <laughs> uh, Christopher Robin. Wouldn't that be great if it was like a Strangers on the Train? Is it Strangers on the Train? Strangers on the Train. Yeah, it is Strangers on the Train. Yeah, Crisscross. Yeah. Well, I think, let's be honest, you and I know it more as Throw Mama from the Train. Well, yeah. yeah be, be real to Because that's the first <laughs> version of that movie I ever saw. <laughs> how, many, how many times has that been done? Uh, this yeah. is your cousin. You don't have a cousin. You lied to me. That <laughs> <laughs> oh. film is amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I would watch that with, uh, with Pooh. With Winnie the Pooh, like Strangers yeah. on a Train with Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Like Pooh and Piglet meet on a train and swap murders. Yeah, like yeah. Pooh wants to get rid of... Tigger, because I always it, wondered. He, he knows where the bodies are. You know when Muppets was going through that phase where they kept like doing different genre parody movies. Yeah, I always wondered why they didn't actually do like more specific like film concepts, like do something like like Strange on a Train mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Be, like, like you just wind up with like an action movie that just happens to star Kermit. You know? <laughs> Die Hard with, with Muppets. <laughs> Point Break with Muppets. <laughs> oh my god, the surfing scenes would be incredible. No, I would hate that, and I'll tell you for why. I get freaked out when I ever see a Muppet's legs. Uh, yes, yes, that is weird. That is weird. Yeah. So if I ever see Robin. Kermit's legs, I'm like... <laughs> doesn't he have the string bean legs? He has the yeah, string bean legs, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Christopher Robin. Sorry, yeah, Christopher Robin. It's, it's all right. It's, it's, I've it's not seen it, but quite nice I'll and charming, it. you know. <laughs> it's not Paddington. It's not Paddington, but it's a little bit more Hook, you know, and... It's not Donald Gleeson, this one. It's Hugh McGregor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's goodbye, Christopher Robin. And, and this is, hello, Christopher Robin. Yeah. So I think that's what we should call <laughs> yeah. this now. Hello, hello Christopher, Christopher Robin. Robin. The only way to tell them apart. So, hello, Christopher Robin. Yeah, Hugh McGregor, very likable in it. Um, I quite like the little girl. I quite like uh, Hayley Atwell in it. And, of course, uh, Jim Cummings as as these, these characters. There's, he's just, hey. there's no one close. Who, who does he? He does Poo, definitely. He does Poo. He does... Doesn't he do Eeyore as well? No, Eeyore no. is Ray's brother from... Everybody loves. Her. Oh, Brad Garrett! It's yeah. Brad Garrett. I yeah. love Brad Garrett. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I take it someone has tweeted us who enjoys it as well. Someone has at Brunga K says Christopher Robin was so good and totally made me cry. But I have a new theory that CR. So is that Christopher is that Robin? Robin? Oh, oh, all right. Oh, cool. This guy goes deep. Okay. Theory that CR is some kind of deity or something. Uh, what else could create a pocket dimension with sentient teddy bears? The detritizers? No. The detritizers? That deterioritis when he forgets. Is that deteriorates? Well, maybe he means to say deteriorates. He's spotting. Okay, okay. That deteriorates when he forgets. Well, okay. Good theory. Terrible spelling, C minus. Also, I would watch the hell out of that movie, just FYI. Number one. The Nun, more black. Yeah. This, the Nun, I think, is the best spin off of, of one of the Conjuring movies. I prefer this to Annabelle Creation. Now, everyone else seems to think Annabelle Creation is a stronger film. Uh, I don't get that. I, I really don't. Uh, I think this mm. is. You know, it's it's got a great female lead in Tysa Farmia, uh, who is obviously the younger sister of uh, Vera Farmia and who stars in the other movies. So what that's about, I don't think we quite know the full range of yet. Apparently this has bumped up the timeline for the next Conjuring movie. We're going to get one sooner rather than later because these are just making too much money. This apparently has made all the money as well. We're doing that creepy guy. The Creepy Man. <laughs> yeah, the Creepy Man. Yeah. For my film. The Creepy Man. The Creepy Man. Yeah. <laughs> what is he called? Crooked uh, Man. Crooked Man. Crooked yeah. Man. Yeah, Crooked I keep Man. He's just called The Creepy Man. But uh, the thing is that this, on, as far as its formula goes, stays closest to an actual Conjuring movie where there's a sort of investigative procedural element to it. 
Now, I I sort of went along with it. I think the it's all about. I think for my take, it's all about atmosphere. I think it worked a lot better for me than it did for most people. Uh, there is something inherently creepy about you know a convent. Anyway, you know, it would take a very lazy director to not wring some, you know, tension and mm. atmosphere out of that. And yeah, it's creepy as hell. I mean, it's, you know, the least scary of the Conjuring spin-offs, but it's the best one. So, you know, that, okay. that's, that's kind of where I fall. Yeah. So who's tweeted us? At Marv McKay says, The Nun is painfully and scarily boring and a total waste of money and Van, shut your face. <laughs> you don't know anything. I, Hashtag... I, Whatever. Hashtag whatevs. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, so, uh, should, we, uh, should we just launch straight into Superfly really quickly? So, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to muster some enthusiasm. Well, I'll tell you what you should do. You should listen to Superfly by Curtis Mayfield instead of seeing this film. You'll have a much better thing. Uh, I think it does play twice in the film. I think I think it does play sort of the beginning and end. So, Superfly, which is a remake of the classic uh, black exploitation film. Which was called Superfly. Which was called Superfly, imaginatively enough. Although I think it was only two words in the 70s. The title was, was, was two separate Superfly. I think it was Superfly. Oh, not Super Hyphen Fly. <laughs> yeah, now it's just Superfly. Fly. Like Jeff Superfly. Jeffrey Superfly. Jeffrey Superfly. And the Connecticut Superfly. But funnily enough, this is actually directed, written and directed by... Oh, uh, this guy's name. By Director X. Yeah. Who it, I, I've checked, and it turns out that he is of the Toronto X's. The to- oh, right. Yeah, not the New Hampshire X's. Not the New Hampshire no. X's. No, no, Always he's of the confused. Toronto X's. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the whole film, right? Oh, no, no, no. And before I even get to that, right? Basic plot: you've got priest, young blood priest is our hero who is a. It's kind of like an episode of Power. The whole thing feels like an episode of Power. Right. He's a drug kingpin who lives to a very specific code. You know, no one gets hurt. I won't do this. I won't, I won't do that. Um, he and his, uh, his two, his, his two girlfriends, who he refers to by another name, I believe, um, they, uh, gather all the intel for him. And his whole gimmick seems to be that he is always the smartest man in the room. He knows everything about you. He has Sherlock-style sized you up end-to-end, and he knows every way to to play you, to manipulate you, to get you to do his bidding. He is Superfly. Here's a clip. I need to ask you something. I did it. I thought I made myself clear. I thought we were partners. You're my brother, Priest. Somebody come at my brother, they come at me. If they come at me, they get got. You started a war. No, I didn't. They was gonna come for you regardless. We gonna be long gone by the time they're an issue for us anyway, trust me. That's the problem, Eddie. We are supposed to trust each other, are we not? You don't always have to tell me the truth. That's not trust. Me doing right by you, you doing right by me, that's trust. Don't lie to me again. I'm serious. All right, I don't care what your definition of trust is either. Mm. You wanna hug it out? Huh? I'm right here. Can you feel the tension in that one case? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that Big Boy from Outcast apparently plays the mayor. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah. I was wondering because it did seem like that's so weird that it's not like a bigger star like playing the mayor. And then you you tell me that it makes complete sense. You are whiter than me, Van. Right. So it's not written by Director X, sorry. It's written by Alex Say who is a sort of up and coming cool kind of figure on the scene. Um, Right. In the lead is Trevor Jackson. 
who absolutely, um, you know, absolutely has the best hair game in the business. Oh, it's uh, it is on point. It is. It is it, that is. I mean, seriously, stop the film there. You've peaked. I don't think that's his day to day hair as well. Unfortunately, well, he, he does seem to. He, he seems to uh, go about his business with no hair care time whatsoever. In his day. Anyway, it's beside the, beside the point. Um, he works fine in the lead. I think he's a little bit too soulful, I think, for, for, for to really sell the supposed brutality that this character is capable of. That's been misjudged. It's mm. going for that sort of animated, heightened reality style of the Shaft remake. You remember about 18 years ago now? The, the John oh, Singleton... That, that long ago. Yeah. yeah. The, the Samuel Jackson remake of oh, Shaft. Oh, we've, we've got Baby Shaft coming up, haven't we? Yeah, we've got a new one. Is it Shaft Jr.? Son of Shaft? Son of Shaft. Son of Shaft. Yeah. And, uh, well, this has a lot of that, that 2000 Samuel L. Jackson kind of feel to it, except what would happen if you took that movie and decided to direct it as a P. Diddy video? Okay, if if you if you want to know what that would actually end up like, absolutely go and see Superfly. Um, there is, however, literally no other reason to see it. <laughs> okay, I mean, for one thing, right? I saw Superfly when I was a student. You know, but as you do when you go through the quote unquote classics, and you have that week where you watch all the black exploitation films. <laughs> uh, by the way, my favorite is uh, The Boss with Fred Williamson. If you're ever wondering, anyway. Um, what a kick-ass movie. Anyway, uh, and also not what it was originally called. Never look that up in public. Anyway, uh, so I can tell you with some authority that they have absolutely missed the margin with this one. Because any of the points, any of the power, any of the poignancy that the original Superfly wound up creating the release of it wound up generating around you know it was that moment for black exploitation kind of hit big with superfly was one of the earliest ones and this has none of the none of the reverence for that that it should this Mm. just feels like any old rubbish in fact if i'm going to compare it to something it's like that remake that sylvester sloan made of get carter I was thinking about that earlier when yeah. we were talking about Michael Caine. Mm, yeah, this mm. feels like that. It didn't need to exist. This never, ever, ever needed to get remade. And in remaking it, they have quite blatantly missed the point. Uh, it also it's, it's very telling that uh, they go from the character being a prostitute in the seven, uh, a pimp in the seventies to being a drug dealer okay. now. To which you sit and think, oh, it's funny that those are the uh, those are the lines you want to go down because it might have actually forced them to be a bit more insightful and a bit edgier if they had stuck with the uh, the pimp angle, but uh, they don't. Anyway, it's uh, mostly a bit rubbish, and yeah. Uh, oh, I will say this though. Okay, we'll say this. The uh, the evil uh, gang in it because the whole thing has this sort of Romeo and Juliet style Montague Capulets nonsense thing going on. Uh, the the bad gang dress entirely in white. They're all they're all African American. Nice. Yeah. They dress only in white. Which, if you remember the old Family Guy joke, wow, he must be doing well. Um, mm. They're called Snow Patrol. So just run by Snow Patrol. Start playing <laughs> They're called Snow Patrol. They they only wear white. Everything they use is white. So they have like white iPhone cases. Their guns are customed. They are white Glocks and, and white like MP5s and like white submachine guns and things. And everyone just runs around this movie the whole time, endlessly hating. On, on Snow on Patrol. Snow <laughs> and I'm just watching it thinking, my God, it's like yeah. reading the NME in 2005. Wow. <laughs> Take that, Gary Lightbody. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, every two minutes, it's just like F Snow Patrol there. Mm. <laughs> 
it's the most bizarre thing. Um, that, incidentally, is the most interesting thing about Superfly, which otherwise is tedious, has no point, plays like an episode of Power. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, as if you tried to create an original. I mean, it just plays like a random ass in the middle of the season episode of Power when you've never seen an episode of Power before. I have never seen it. Have you never seen Power. it? No. It's like what 50 Cent thinks The Godfather should be like. <laughs> That's literally because yeah. he produces He's that. his producer, isn't he? Yeah, he produces that. But, uh, yeah, this is... I can't, in all honesty, recommend this any more than I would just watch the box set of Power. Because that at least is a... That's a bit cooler than this. Yeah. Yeah. This... Shame. Yeah. This does not it's work. Wasting a good haircut. <laughs> no! This... I mean, that is, that is badass hair game. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show. And we're back for one last ride, Mr. Allen. So, um, should we have a quick look at something in film news before we uh, before we crack on with our last review? Yeah. What's happened? Has anything happened? So, yeah, actually, I did want to ask you about that, uh, about, about that, uh, the, 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 oh, the, the, what do you call it, the Superman thing, the, uh, the Michael B. Jordan thing. Mm. Like, you really think that... Who would you get, like, Superman? To be Superman? Yeah. I'd, I'd get Henry Cavill. I'd just get a better director. <laughs> See, that's true. That is absolutely true, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think yeah. he could make an absolutely incredible Superman. He's yeah. just had rubbish material, mm. naff direction, and a weird suit. <laughs> A weird yeah. suit, really? You think? Uh... Well, but actually, the suit's not that bad. I just needed a third thing to refer refer my point. Okay, okay. But it's, it's really the the direction. It's just, I and mean, it's just been wasted, hasn't he? And there was uh, there was talk this week about because you know Halloween screened. At, is it Toronto this week? This last Tiff, week, yeah, yeah. So Halloween screened and got all the all the love. Mm. It seemed like it seems they've made a really good sequel. Uh, and uh, there's talk now, obviously, like the people keep interviewing the, the filmmakers and like Danny McBride, one of the writers, and uh, and people keep asking like, oh, do you want to do a sequel? Like, hey, we're open to sequels. I'm like, no. No, that's why we went wrong last time. Yeah, we had by a carrying good, on. We had a good reboot called Twenty Years Ago. Mm. Um, we ruined it because you made sequels. <laughs> no one needed to see Buster Rhymes drop kicking Michael Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers. Okay, <laughs> that's just not a thing. <laughs> Do you, you want to? You, you really want to see like the pitch meeting that that took place around? I mean, I just want to be friends with Buster Rhymes. Oh, I mean, definitely. Yeah, but like that, that Gremlins two sketch that Key and Peele did. Uh, I can just imagine yeah. that with with like with Halloween Halloween Resurrection, mm. which was for a while. Is, is that the Paul Wood one? Paul Wood's no, one. no, that's Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halloween Resurrection. I know is the eighth film because for a long time its official title was Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Amazing. That was its official title for a good long while. Was the eight like the eight was instead of the O in Halloween? The o, yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. It was going to be Halloween. But there you go. So uh, we mentioned Key and Peele. Uh, Key, yeah. Michael Key is, of course, in our next film. Which is The which Predator. Which is The Predator. Um, not only is Key and Michael Key in it, Key and Michael Key is introduced literally with This is so and so, he tells jokes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is true in life. Right. So let's get that straight out, straight out of the way. This is a film that really doesn't want to just fuss about. This this really kind of just wants to get gets down to what you want. Yeah. You know, this this wants to give you some likable characters and some sci-fi action. And uh, you know what? Credit where it's due. 
It does that. So, uh, latest film from uh, director and co-writer, I believe, Shane Black. He's co-written this with Fred Decker, I think. Yes, I believe. Uh, Shane Black, of course, weirdly starred in Predator. And I think the reasoning was because he was the writer they wanted to keep on set to punch up the dialogue. Is that the the actual story? So they just gave him a role. Yeah. You could be another guy. This is this is how Aaron Sorkin winds up like starring as Alfred the Butler, isn't it? <laughs> this is totally going to be what happens. <laughs> uh, if we could see a Sorkin Batman film, yeah. <laughs> I, that would kill for that. Anyway, uh, so Shane Black has now come back behind the camera. This story is set canonically. Well, it's set now, and it canonically follows more or less every movie that's had a, had a predator in. So the mythology actually now becomes a thing. The mythology is actually now front and center in these films, which is very jarring, I must say. Um, so the idea is that uh, a commando unit in Mexico has come upon the, the latest Predator. Uh, one sole survivor is carted away as part of the government's cover-up of it. Uh, he's played by Boyd Holbrook from Logan. Yeah, and, and uh, Behind the Candelabra. And Behind the Candelabra. Thank you. I was trying to remember what the other one was. I can never remember that he's in Behind the Candelabra. It was originally a male model, don't you know? Was he now? Yeah. He does, in fact, look like the B&M version of Ryan Gosling. <laughs> slightly better than that but yeah slightly better okay now he's next at home is Ryan Gosling he's nothing like Ryan Gosling where are you, where are you getting because this I'm one? watching this film thinking are you just thinking oh he's a man Ryan Gosling is also a man <laughs> Ryan Gosling is also a man shaped they they therefore are brothers anyway yeah, uh, yeah no they, therefore they must know one another um <laughs> No, so Boyd Holbrook is the sole survivor, survives survives an attack with the Predator, is carted away by the government to be interrogated about what he saw. He is put in on a a prisoner transport bunch, uh, prisoner transport bus, with a bunch of... uh, Not prison transport brunch, which is... That would be amazing, a prison transport brunch. We're just eating waffles, (laughs) pancakes. Excuse me, can you pass the hollandaise? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, my my, my shiv uh, isn't clean. Could I have a new yeah. one, please? How am I supposed to eat my eggs Benedict? <laughs> with your spork. With your yeah. spork. Anyway, uh, so he's put on a, a prison bus with a bunch of characters who are introduced to us as the loonies. Yeah, I like that name. Yeah, and they are made up of every character you've ever seen in a Shane Black movie ever. <laughs> Okay, so you've got one who tells jokes, you've got one who has Tourette's, you've got one who likes to explode things, you've got one who's the nice sort of best friend partner type, mm. you've got one who's the pervert, and this and this is literally kind of how they're explained to us as well, they're literally introduced to us, like, this is Jeff, he likes to look at boobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he tells jokes, he's got Tourette's. Literally, this is how they're introduced, and what then follows is the, uh, a return of another predator to who comes down and basically the, this prisoner transport bus be, you know becomes the recipient of the only hope we have they form their own little would be a team unit and have to take down this encroachment of predators on this small american town we have a clip welcome to the Looney bus McKenna the brass Williams that's Coyle that's Lynch with Murphs why are you here I don't think you believe me Come on, man. I had a run in with a space engine. This guy is crazier than the rest of us. What was that? So it's going for that sort of that classic predator, dirty dozen style mentality. You know, the, the idea of the, the the lovable rogues gallery of heroes. Mm. 
And, you know, they're all kind of one note, but they're likable enough. You know, it, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, and I know, I, but it's kind of daft. I really like oh, the cast. Yeah, that's it. I mean, to be, all right, let's get that out of the way. Okay, right. As far as the Predator series goes, this goes to so much dafter a level <laughs> than, than any of these movies ever have yeah. now. I, I would argue, I, I do think that the, the ongoing problem with the Predator series is the same problem that the Alien series has, which is, I'm sorry, but you've taken away a lot of the mystique at this stage. You have, you've overly convoluted what should be a very simplistic threat. Well, this is the most you see the Predator, I think, in, in any film. Mm. There's there's definitely that too. It, for the very first time, they actually interact, for instance, with people mm. and themselves, and it, it's a very jarring thing because up until now we have had this idea of the predators as they are honor based hunters, and this kind of makes them into more of like they have a society and like law enforcement. That's still there, though, um, I think. Being honor based hunters are still mm, are still present. Isn't it? They're still present, but I do think they have they have intellectualized the predator to a level that I didn't quite expect, and it's it, it feels a lot like one of its own spin off comic books. Actually, like it feels. But I'm like, fine with that because the whole point is they're supposed to evolve mm, a race, but are constantly evolving. And there so is if, that, if you yeah. then have like a film set so many years later, yeah. And it's still just the same thing from That's so long ago. Then what's what's the point? So I mean, regardless, I mean that for me that was something I didn't enjoy so much. But other than that, I did have a good time with the film. I do, you know, I thought it's got the feel. It has the Predator feel down. Mm. You know that that classic because we saw Predator together recently, didn't we? We did. Yeah, we went to the the press show when they re released it. Um, it's got the, it's got the feels. It's got the tone. You know, it's got that that, that lantern jawed, sweaty browed sensibility that Shane Black you know you know brought to the original Predator anyway. Um, it's got the vintage Shane Blacky script there are some belters in here aren't there wow i mean none of which we, we, we can we repeat. can't really say them we can't repeat any of them um let's just ask by the way if anyone knows is everyone everything okay with shane black because this is set at halloween um, yeah i think he's changed from christmas and now it's just all holidays he just does seasons just the seasons just the seasons yeah uh yeah this is obviously this has still got the morbid humor that the predator series yeah. has had it's still this, this, this still a kid there's well. still, still a kid <laughs> in this case Jacob Tremblay yeah. um, and I mean so there's been a lot of controversy about uh, a certain element of the production of this film I don't want to go into that but uh, I, I have noticed that this obviously is something that people keep going back to in discussion I'm just going to ask the one question no one else seems to have asked which is everyone's having an issue with that in the meanwhile, there is still an incredibly gratuitous and pointless shower scene in this movie. You know the one I'm thinking oh, right, of? Yeah. yeah. Now, that actually does serve a creative uh, purpose in that it is a, a straight-up homage to Alien 3, obviously. But why it's there and why she needs to be naked? Like, specifically, why is she naked? I don't understand this. I think I can explain it, but I don't think I can explain it on air. No, no. I, for, I, for spoiler reasons. No, no, I know I know, I know the obvious reason. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's no different in one sense than the same reason the same thing happened in Alien 3, for instance. Mm. But Alien 3 was fully clothed. Anyway, uh, so uh, let's see what else we got here. We've got to talk about the editing of it, because this has been visibly hacked up. 
This mm. this does yeah. have elements that seem to be dropped and reappear. The uh, exposition seems to get lumped into the most inopportune moments and then is developed quite poorly. Uh, it, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense at times. And then there's all of a sudden a MacGuffin introduced at one point. You're like, oh, oh that's a thing. Okay, I didn't realise that was meant to be a thing. We're going to keep going with that's a MacGuffin now. Okay, I thought it was just a, a, a you know inciting incident. But okay, that's now actually the MacGuffin. Okay, and then there seems to be uh, the introduction of layers of different villains, of which, for instance, there is a new big bad predator. They call it an upgrade predator, I think. Yeah, something like that. Or just Predator Two at one point. Oh, Predator which, Two, which is funny. <laughs> that is funny for all the yeah. reasons. Um, other things, like for instance, potentially big characters getting filed down. Because why is Keys a character? Why is Jake Busey a character in this? There's loads of stuff like that where they want to flesh out certain elements of the mythology, and it's quite obvious that that's been scraped out. And it's le- and it's left kind of a bitter aftertaste behind. The film, though, when it's just being a Shane Black movie that happens to feature Predators, is very fun. And I had, I had a good time with it. And it's got that kind of lantern-jawed morbidity that I, I absolutely adore. I mean, there's, there's, there's a sign-off for one character... Well, two actually that I uh, I thought was genuinely hilarious because and it was completely unspoken. It was this completely unspoken. You know the one. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. it's an unspoken moment and it's so brilliant. But uh, yeah, the stuff in there that I really enjoyed. I just think that I, I'm not sure if it's a result of the hatchet job that's been done. The action sequences don't didn't quite work. For me. I found them a bit choppy and incoherent. Really, I, I think did. there's some really good ones. There's mm. some really interesting bloody gory bits yes, yes all of there are. That, I mean there's there's an image in this movie that should be one of the franchise's most iconic images mm. and it's uh, if I just say dropping entrails oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you sit there yeah, yeah. like that's going to be a mondo poster yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can absolutely see that happening um, so yeah for me I had a three star time watching what I thought was a two star film so I had fun with it, but I was aware that I was watching like something I thought was quite flawed. Hmm. But uh, it, I say it's I, for me academically could be the worst film of this entire franchise, which is a franchise that has Alien vs Predator Requiem in it. But it's still more fun than <laughs> Alien vs Predator Requiem. Yeah, I think it's hundred percent it's better than those. I'd say it's better yeah. than Predators. Even though that's, that's quite fun. It's the well. second most fun Predator movie after the first one. After well, yeah, of course. Yeah, but it might be the worst actual film. But uh, anyway, so I, I don't think we can make it film of the week. Really, I think film of the week has to go to uh, has to go to oh, no, Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians film of the week. Really, I know you're not sold no, on this. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I got, I got no skin in this game. No, I don't. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Anyway, that Crazy Rich Asians, go and see that. That's film of the week. Uh, so, next week, interesting stuff uh, to come. Mm. So, that documentary, the MIA one? Uh, you know MIA, the rapper? I do. So, she's got a paper subject planes. of a documentary. Yes, I know of a paper planes as well, and nothing else, yeah. it would seem. Really? Like, I don't know. I don't know any of her work outside There's a really her. amazing music video that she did, but was banned for a long time, yeah. where... Essentially, kids with ginger hair are just mm. being massacred. Wow! Yeah. Okay. Really work. We'll probably bring it up in the documentary. Oh, I'm sure they will. It's, it's a great video. Uh, so we've got... Uh, that's called Matangi Maya MIA. That's next week. Uh, Climax is next week. Good old Gaspar Noe. Gaspar Noe, you filthy thing. Oh, he knows that'll have a good time. Uh, let's see. Uh, Marky Mark takes the streets of Malthway 2. That's next week. Oh, yeah. Has uh, Peter Berg directed that by any chance? Uh, has he? Of course he has. <laughs> <laughs>
Get a roomie. <laughs> I know. There's, these two guys are like Burton and Depp, aren't they? Uh, a simple favour is next week. So that's, uh, was it uh, Paul, Paul, Feig Paul Feig doing like an adult thriller? Mm. Which is supposed to be quite gun girlish, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think on the, tra- on the trailer, obviously it's like from the darker side of Paul Feig. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, Faces Places. I don't know an awful lot about that one, but it's a Curzon movie. Oh, it's the, uh, the Agnes Barda Is it? Film. Yeah. Uh, it's a Curzon movie, so it's going to be good. We know that. Do you not know anything about it? No. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film. It's, of course um, it was. Oh. Yeah, Agnes Barda, she's a filmmaker and photographer, and it's about her going round, uh, I think, France, potentially, with some other person. Hey. Um, yeah, just it's like a big like road trip documentary film. Nice. Okay. It's really good. I look forward to that. Uh, see, we've also got uh, The Little Stranger next week as well. Donald Gleason's Groovy Mustache. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and last but certainly by no means least, The House with a Clock in Its Walls is Yay. next week. I'm kind of looking forward to that. I am as well. being a new live off film. Yeah, I think I mean like Jack Black doing a kids horror movie again. I'm in. Yeah, like, I love Goosebumps. Mm. But yeah, so we got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for Movie Marker. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. Uh, we should be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more movie news, reviews, and more, visit MovieMarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras. Yay! Happening. <laughs> it's happening right now. It's happening. It's doing. It's a thing. There's a doings are transpiring. <laughs> um, there's this weird rumor. You've heard this that they want Guy Ritchie to do a Captain Britain movie. Which all right? Yeah, I, I guess that's who you get. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be up for that. I'd be up for that as well. Yeah. I'd, are they going to wait to see how well uh, uh, the, uh, the Aladdin film? Oh does? God, yeah, yeah. I would imagine that though. I'd imagine like when the uh, if if that's something that actually comes to be, mm. that would get announced around the time the buzz starts for Aladdin. It would make sense, wouldn't it? It's it, been rumored for a long time, and like it's it's quite. He's quite a big name, really, I guess. He He's is just still. got a very weird, convoluted <laughs> mythology. I don't know how you do that <laughs> in, in an MCU film. Yeah, I mean, He's it's. Got it's his powers odd. through Merlin, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. yeah. But it's. I did try reading the, uh, the, the comic books once. And I just, I just really couldn't get into them, to be honest. Not really something for me. No. A little bit too mystical and... Speaking of British superheroes, here's a question for you. I, 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 I was going through some old... I was trying to find an old Lola photo or something. And I was on my computer and I was going through my... Uh, I go through the photos app on my MacBook. Hmm. And uh, I found this, this picture I wanted of Lola. And uh, you might have forgotten this. In 2014, there was a teaser poster that was doing the rounds for a, a Banana Man movie. I do remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, it had a release date of something like Christmas 2016, didn't it? Or Christmas 2015 or something like that. Yeah, but never transpired. Never happened. What on earth happened to the Banana Man movie? Yeah. Yeah. Do we Do we know? Have you found out? I, I, I've not looked it up. I need to. I, I, I need to know what became of the Banana Man movie. Yeah. Who was going to be playing Banana Man? I have no idea. You know who should be Banana Man? Who? Tom Hiddleston. Like, buff Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Like Gerard Butler, but uh, <laughs> that's not wacky at all. <laughs> no, nothing wacky about Jerry Butler. Um, so, what do you call him? I'm trying to remember the name of the actor. Said Tagmawi. Do you know him? He's from, from Wonder Woman. He played the Algerian character in Wonder Woman, I believe. Oh yeah, and he might be in James Bond. This is the story. This yeah. is the thing. So apparently, Danny Boyle had hired him to be the villain, the main villain, the main villain that's of it. 
which is that's big. okay. That's interesting. That's huge. Yeah. Um, but apparently now with this whole change of directors, Saeed Tagmari is not sure he's, he's like still involved. He's not sure if he's yeah. That sucks. It's like what happened to Joe Manganiello, and like yeah. they weren't sure if that's Death true. Death. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so yeah, so we might get <laughs> we might get yeah. another one. I mean, he was he was really good in Wonder Woman. But yeah, he I'm, was. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Thinking about it, oh, uh, I always remember him from Three Kings uh, when he tortured Mark Wahlberg with the uh, the oil drum. He put the CD in his mouth, poured oil is down. That's really that guy. That's the same guy. Yes, yeah, so he take me. What wow. is the problem with Michael Jackson? Great scene. Great. So he, he must be older than I think he is. Yeah, he must be. He must be yeah. decently uh, decently he, he in his forties uh, at least. He's forty five. He's forty five. Yeah. Oh, okay then. So that's that's about right. When was Three Kings? Three Kings was twenty years ago now. Uh, 1999. 1999. It's about yeah, yeah, like 19 years ago. That would track. It was about 25 at the time. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could believe that. Not seen that film for a long time. Uh well, obviously, you know, I uh, went to school in Kuwait. Well, when I was at school, I was about 16 when Three Kings came out. Hmm. Uh, it was banned in the state of Kuwait oh. uh, because of the. Well, I mean, the, the I forget what the official reason. The the actual widely known reason was that they didn't like the depiction of the Kuwaitis as victims. And you start thinking, literally, the plot. Literally what happened. That is literally the thing that happened. The Iraqis came in and stole all your swag. You know, but they didn't really want to admit that, which is, uh, you know, a shame. They missed out on a good movie. I liked that. <laughs> Plus, isn't that the movie where George Clooney punched David O. Russell? Yes, it is. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> good old Clooney-tang, man. So, uh, okay, let me, let's do a film real quickly. Uh, should we talk about Michael Inside? Yes. Right, so uh, I don't know what this is. Right, this is a relatively low-budget, independent. I think it's an Irish film, and uh, let me see if I've got some notes here. Some, ah, here we are. This is brought to us by writer-director Frank Berry. Uh, it stars David Flynn. He is the Michael of the title. Michael is. About, I think it's about 18. He's just in sort of college age. He uh, lives with his grandfather. His father is serving time. He holds on to, he is caught holding on to drugs belonging to a drug dealer friend of his. And, well, a, quite a substantial amount. And he is uh, sent to prison for three months. Um, there's this whole adjustment of, you know, how does a regular everyday guy adjust to life on the inside? You know, what's, you know, how, how will he survive? How will he, you know, make his way through the through the system as it were in the meanwhile though on the outside you have his granddad who is being accosted by the owners of these of the drugs in question who are basically holding the grandfather to ransom as it were to pay for these drugs which is not really like a sensationalist kind of bent they literally just say you know it's two grand's worth of drugs give us two grand mm-hmm. you know it's like that uh, we have a clip it won't be as bad as you think it will <laughs> He made a mistake. Stay away, Mel. I'm sorry. That's a bit late now, wasn't it? He'll have to toughen up, Michael. <laughs> Just keep your head down and you'll be okay. There's a lot of normal people in there. You can do it. Hello? You can't. You can't. You're not a kid anymore. 
So I was initially a bit taken aback by kind of how cheesy it was. It felt a bit cornball, like shot really sort of starkly, very kitchen sink kind of aesthetic to it. But it's uh, very much, it, it leans very heavily on this, on, on the you know, widely enough circulated idea that, you know, the prison system itself creates more criminals than, you know, for instance, they rehabilitate. And it goes on that idea. It's going in with that sort of a very corny take on that mentality. This is this young boy is going to be corrupted by the system that he's only in by mistake. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it all worked because of a really great central performance from Daffod Flynn. I think mm. he's absolutely worth seeing the film for. The film, though, outside of Daffod Flynn, is only just earnest enough to pull off the corny sort of sentiment sentimentality of it all. The, the, the very kind of obvious and phoned-in way that it hangs together. Having said that, you know, that performance, though, is absolutely brilliant. There's a so cold, it's worth seeing just for that. It's worth seeing purely for that. He can... He's, he's a very layered turn. He can sell the, the keep-your-eyes-down, be-dead-inside idea of this, but, you know, the emotional sort of power that's behind that, what, exactly why that's taking its toll on him. And I, I, I thought it was a great movie. I've seen far, far worse British prison movies. Uh, and I, I say that as someone who didn't enjoy that uh, Jack O'Connell one, one with Ben Mendelsohn a few years ago. Oh, I did enjoy that. What was that Start called? Up? Start yeah. Up. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. Yeah. Why, why didn't you enjoy that? I, I, I just, there were so many things I didn't like about it. I just thought, it was, I really didn't get on with it. And then... Uh, Maybe it's just not your kind of film. Yeah, and then I got an angry phone call about it. For 45 minutes, trying to ask me to change my review. That actually happened. <laughs> and I was waiting to see Under the Skin at the time. <laughs> but, uh, was that, the, was that the, the, the ScarJo alien one? Yes, it was. Yes, okay. Um, so, Annabelle 3 apparently is happening. Well, of course, because money. Because money, yeah. Uh, so, Annabelle because 3... Universe. Yeah, Annabelle 3 apparently is going to be set between Conjuring movies. It's going to be set between one and two because basically we've just advanced in the timeline that much now that pretty soon they're going to have to start setting these. We've got to be in day. space, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Future, my international space station. This series becomes the new Cloverfield. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. So Annabelle three apparently will be set at some point in the seventies between Conjuring one and two. Um, I ran into uh, a bit of an issue with the timeline of one of them that I saw where I couldn't figure out what year it was meant to be set. In. I think it was The Nun. I think it was The Nun. I couldn't quite figure out. It's meant to be like 52. I thought it was early 50s. Yeah, I think it's early 50s. But there's, Or I think Annabelle Creation. There's one where I really got stumped trying to figure out when the hell it was supposed to be set. and Because uh, Annabelle Creation's on Sky Cinema all the time at the moment. Is it? But yeah, have you seen a Sky Cinema? By uh, I think Did so. Did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, no, so uh, yeah, Annabelle, uh, Annabelle 3. Because apparently there's an audience for these. <laughs> Definitely. Well, there's, there's always teenagers, isn't there? Have you seen those full-size replicas of Annabelle you can buy now? No, I've not. I've You've got, like, you're on Amazon and eBay that get, <laughs> like, nothing. Brilliant. And, uh, yeah, I'd absolutely have one to go alongside the Chucky doll I never got around to buying. Yeah. But uh, um, Have we got any other films to talk about? Uh, yes, other films to talk about. Let's talk really quickly about uh, Reinventing Marvin, <laughs> uh, which I have confessed to you already. Which, which Marvin is this? Uh, right. This is referred to as Marvin the Education of, I believe. You translate the, uh, the French title of it is a two-piece narrative. Hang on, I'm just I'm trying to get the details up. So hang on, reinventing Marvin. Sorry, you're gonna to have to put with me IMDBing this. 
It's all right. I've just done the same thing. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, we're all on the same page. Good. Okay. So this is the story of a young boy who is bullied at school, who doesn't have a great domestic home life. This is there's a, this is a section of the film that's told in parallel with the rest of it. There's two time periods. In the past, he's a young boy. We see his relationship with his parents. We see him sort of making the first steps towards discovering his sexuality. And then in the future narrative, which is our present day, we follow the same character now roughly sort of say a decade older and his first forays into sort of being a working actor and and specifically the opportunities that being a working actor affords him to further explore his now fully discovered sexuality mm. uh, but we don't have a clip obviously because it's an entirely foreign language film but as you've uh, rightly pointed out to me, obviously this comes from the director of a film that we both have an appreciation for. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mums and their sons. Mums and their sons. Yeah. A really awkward drama. Was it called Adore? Adore. It was Adore, wasn't it? Uh, which starred Naomi Watts and Robin, Robin Wright. Wright. Yes. <laughs> and that was a messed up film. Wow. And the How Did This Get Made episode that went with it was absolutely astounding. <laughs> I think I actually saw it on... Was it on UK Netflix, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's why I watched it. Yeah? It on there, yeah. God, that film was just bizarre. Okay, so uh, this is the uh, same director. She's also co-written here, Anne Fontaine. And, uh, well, I, this is the thing with this one. This one has really good performances powering through it. Uh, Finnegan Oldfield, I believe, who plays the older incarnation of the two boys. I think he's abs- he's a real find here. And again, very similar performance in one sense to Michael Inside, that uh, the way that is layered and the, the sort of storyline that you are running internally as well as externally, the way he balances that out is really good. And the way the character, I mean, because the character writing is terrific. And the way in which the central character kind of deals with his own emerging self-loathing, like as he has, you know, as, as he explores his sexuality further, as his experience grows, so too does his own sort of, I think, sense of of self-loathing and self-doubt and he plays that to absolute perfection i think he's really good um i think the film as a whole though doesn't quite come together anywhere near as well and you know at the end i came away thinking you know it was a good film but like michael inside it's almost exactly the same result as michael inside where great performance from a relatively unknown young male lead but the film doesn't quite measure up to you know that that performance well yeah. Shame. So we forgot to talk about Bill Reynolds last week. Yeah, we should have probably spoken about that at the start <laughs> of the show. We probably should have. Yeah, yeah. imagine that. Uh, so yes, but Reynolds Gator himself has passed. Yeah. Um, was he was he 82? 82, I think. Yeah. Died of a heart attack? I believe so. And uh, died in Florida, which sounds like an absolutely Burt Reynolds thing of to do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the only way it could be any more of a Burt Reynolds thing to do would be if he were driving a sports car at the time yeah, with someone a, perched on his lap. Exactly. Wearing a cowboy hat. Wearing a cowboy hat, smoking a cigar and with a scotch in his, a bourbon, <laughs> sorry, in his other yeah. hand. And uh, I, I love Burt Reynolds. I was such a big fan. Everyone loves Burt Reynolds. The thing is, I, I've, this thing, everyone says everyone loves Burt Reynolds. The thing is, that I remember, like, when I was, around the time I first moved to the Middle East when I was a kid, the perception of Burt Reynolds was you know, that he was kind of tacky and a joke, and he didn't really do much in the mainstream mm. at that point. It was like the early 90s. And he was on TV doing Evening Shades at that point. And when I moved to the Middle East, I discovered that in the Middle East, Burt Reynolds is treated like a god. Like Rip Torn in, in Rip Taylor in Wind, 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 yeah. 
comfortable yeah. too. Yeah, like he is a god in my country. The, exactly the same thing with Burt Reynolds and the Middle East. They loved Burt Reynolds. Evening Shade was on TV. I, I, actually, I don't even know what Evening Shade is. It was a sitcom he made where he was like a retired football player who goes home to coach the high school football team. And he has like a yeah. wife who's 30 years younger than him. And this is actually an ongoing storyline mm. that they have to overcome their age difference. And yeah, it was uh, it was cute. It was a very cute, quaint uh, sitcom. And it's all available on DVD, actually, as well, <laughs> funnily enough. But that's kind of, that was my discovery of Burt Reynolds. Burt and then obviously like Gator and Deliverance. And, yeah, Boogie Nights. Because I always forget that he's in Deliverance. Well, yeah. Because it doesn't seem he, like a Burt Reynolds He doesn't have a moustache. <laughs> I think that's probably what it is. You forget that it's actually uh, him. You see that picture, though, don't you, from Deliverance, where he's got, like, the wetsuit on. Yeah. And he, and he just looks so badass, doesn't he, in yeah, that? Like, amazing. that can't be, like, Burt Reynolds. That dude's badass. Burt Reynolds was never that... Yeah, he was. Okay. But, I was thinking uh, about him being in uh, the, uh, the Longest Yard as well. Oh, God, He's got, yeah. like, a football jersey, but isn't, like, all the way go down. <laughs> he's just got, like, <laughs> like, a hairy, like, midriff. Didn't he appear in the remake as well of that? Oh, the Adam Sandler one. I the Adam Sandler one. I don't think I ever saw that. Did actually. he maybe play the villain, I feel like? like he plays the warden? Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, I'm oh, not sure. Uh, I do remember him playing the villain in uh, the... Like for better or worse, remake of Dukes of Hazard though, wasn't he Boss Hog <laughs> yeah, in was, Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. And it was such a quintessentially Burt Reynolds role to have as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's a shame. I yeah, something sad. something I didn't know about the legacy of Burt Reynolds. This will actually intrigue you. Nowadays, it's you know it's kind of a dumb thing that every time we hear about a big movie, you know, it's filming in in Atlanta, something yeah. in Georgia. That is because apparently, largely because of Burt Reynolds. Why is that? Burt Reynolds, apparently, because that's where he lived, that's where he liked to be, would arrange for all of his productions to get moved to and filmed in Georgia. And he then sort of weirdly created that little industry. Yeah. Like, purely... So many many things get made in Georgia. Purely by his own laziness. (laughs) I mean, imagine that. Crazy. That would be like George Clooney just suddenly setting up like a new film industry on like Lake Como. Yeah. (laughs) It's where I live. I don't want to move, damn it. You could do that. It makes films in tequila. Absolutely would. He is a billionaire now because of tequila, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. Is there anything Clooney can't do? do? No. uh, Oh, um, pitch for you, by the way. Mm. Um, There's a TV series. I didn't know about this. I've only recently discovered it. Uh, The Vice Guide to Film. And uh, this is a... Where did I see this? You've seen this on on my Plex. Well, I've seen it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I knew I'd seen that name somewhere. mm -hmm. This is a series of... There's there's a 22-episode series. Uh, They are about half an hour in length per episode. Each episode is basically like a a best of any given director. And just takes you through their, their the big ones of their career and talks to their friends, and it's just a basic Sounds talking awesome. head thing. But like the names they've got in there, like I watched one on Fincher, Coen Brothers, uh, 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 oh, who else now? The Wachowskis, I think, have one, and Ang Lee has one, and Linklater, David Lynch, David Cronenberg. Yeah, you know they've all got. John Carpenter had one. No, oh, Tarantino was quite interesting actually. But uh, Samuel Jackson, very frank man. Yeah. Very, very, very frank. Says, says the F word a lot. He does. He does. Yeah. Uh, he also says the N word a lot. Mm. And uh, like at one point, four comedic effects. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's a good series worth checking out if you can uh, if you can find it. Vice Guide to Film. I hope they do a second series because there's so many other filmmakers I would like to see them actually do mm. this with. Vice uh, really 
crushing it right now. We do loads of amazing stuff like on YouTube, and it's a little yeah. bit like with Vox as well. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, is, uh... is it Vox that did the explained? Yeah, yeah, Vox, yeah. Vox did the Netflix series, isn't it? Explained, yeah. yeah, which I really enjoyed. I was a big fan of Hollywood Kevin like Smith. That. That did the, did the oh, did the weed, weed one? Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Well, so I watched. I think I watched the monogamy one. I oh, yeah, I watched that one. I watched the DNA I watched one. A couple. I've not seen that one. No. I've, I've only seen three or four. I've not. I, I could do with just having like an afternoon where I just. Should, should we just explain? Myself. For anyone who doesn't know what explained is, that is literally the show. They just explain something. It's just a like in short form for, documentary. For like twenty minutes. Yeah, like even short. There's like fifteen minute ones, isn't there? Yeah, some of them are. There's one that's just like a 15 minute lesson on how the stock market works. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Yeah, and be, be presented in a very like uh, approachable way. Very clear, isn't it? Very clear. Yeah. And it's like that bit in the Big Short. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where we just stop the film to just explain how this works. Yeah, but they don't use Margaret Robbie in the bathtub. No. So you know, which you know, obviously we all need more of that in our lives. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So I think that about covers us for this I week. Think so yeah. Right. In which case, here it is. Your moment of cage. I see myself as a student of acting or film performance, uh, whatever you really want to call it. I'm always trying to learn something. I'm always trying to you know, take a chance or challenge myself. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I just feel as long as I can stay a student, I'll stay interested and keep it eclectic. And uh, that's what keeps me going, to stay interested.